0: Cartwheels and hate. I think cartwheels get my attention the most because, well, at this stage in my life, if I tried a cartwheel, uh, I would be hurt for probably two weeks. Uh, If it got recorded, I would be on Instagram and go viral as a gif for falling on my face or just looking uncoordinated. Cartwheels always get my attention. Aaron and I, uh, we've been married for. Aaron's my wife, we've been married for a little bit more than 10 years. We have a six-year-old son named Bowen. Now, if you've got children, you know that they are children, right? So our six-year-old son, man, he's every bit of boy. He's all boy, every ounce of him is boy. He climbs the, the door frames in our house and we love it, except for when he falls, you know, and then you kind of like feel bad, but then you're like, I told you not to climb the things, but you know, whatever. He jumps off of everything, climbs onto everything, He's doing acrobats. He's, he's hanging upside down yelling, Dad, look. And it's like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have looked. You know what I'm saying? He's every bit of six years old. And somewhere along the lines, he decided he wanted to do a cartwheel. And I'm going to show you it. No, I'm just kidding. Somewhere along the lines, he decided he wanted to do a cartwheel. He saw someone else do it, and so he starts in our living room practicing a cartwheel. And you can see the evolution of a cartwheel. He goes and his feet hardly come off the ground. But now this child, his feet go all the way over and he is doing a full cartwheel. And I think it's amazing because I can't do it. Well, the other day, it's normal. We're sitting in the living room and Bowen starts doing his cartwheels. He's getting some energy out in a healthy way and there are too many bugs outside to be out there. You know what I'm saying? And so he decides he's just going to start doing cartwheels. Cool. This is what our house is for, and this is why we have ice packs ready in the freezer. Do all the cartwheels that you want. Then all of a sudden, I look up, and Bowen is finished, and he just sits on the couch. And he starts to sulk. And my son is like me. He gets the emotional part from me, like we wear our emotions on our sleeves. And he sits kind of down in the corner, and he just puts his head down in his, in his chest. And, and so I like, dang, uh, I, I didn't even realize he had done this until I hear him say, I hate myself. Y'all, pff, my six-year-old son just went from cartwheels to hate. Two things that get my attention every time, especially when it's your son who says it. And so my immediate reaction is, hey, 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 whoa, I'm trying to figure out, What? and then he's like, oh, sorry, we don't say hate. I just really don't like myself. It's like, not any better for your dad, man. After talking to him a little bit, uh, he he felt down about himself because he can't do a one-handed cartwheel. <laughs> man, hate always gets my attention. Whether it's in the news, whether it's a display of, of air quotes, Christianity, whether it's uh, one person toward another, a, a mass shooting, any, ty- any type of hate, it always gets my attention. I saw a sign uh, just recently that said, God doesn't hate anything, so stop saying he does. And then my reaction is, well, what about the Bible? What if it says God hates something? Now, it's really easy for us to jump on board with our family members, the people we love. You know, if they hate a sports team, we hate a sports team. If they hate this food, eh, the food's not something I'm willing to give up. But you know what I'm saying. Like We, we jump on board with them right away. If someone you love hates something, it's kind of natural to begin to hate it. But w- even more so, probably, if the Bible says that God hates something, it gets our attention, or at least it should. Uh, I want you to find uh, Proverbs. I want you to find two, sp- two spaces in your Bible, Proverbs and Romans. We have volunteers who are passing out Bibles. If you don't have one, we want you to have that. That's, that's your Bible. Take it home, read it, highlight in it, color in it, however, however you study the Bible. We're going to have Scripture on the screens, but, man, that's the easy way out. You can't study Scripture at home if the only Bible you get all week is on the screens. So you can follow us along on YouVersion Bible app. You can follow us there under the live event section. You can just search Restore Church, and you'll see us there. Or you can download uh, the Restore Church app. You might have to delete some of those pictures of your kids to create some storage, but, you know, priorities. So, um, what if the Bible says that God hates something? Don't you think that as people who love him, we should probably start to think about hating that same thing? In Proverbs chapter uh, chapter 6, there's this section of things that God hates, and we find in verse 16 it says this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven, actually, that are detestable to him. Verse 17 says this haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. And then it keeps going to, to talk about the rest of those things. You know, we're going to talk about the first one this morning haughty eyes. God hates haughty eyes. What does haughty eyes even mean? Well, um, if, if, uh, if this were translated uh, literally into English, it would mean high eyes. It would mean the proud. The idea here is that God opposes the proud. A young woman asked for an appointment with her pastor. This isn't about anyone in the church, okay? The story hopefully is made up. But I didn't want anyone looking around like, is that you? Is that you? Is that you? A young woman asked for an appointment with her pastor to talk with him about This sin that just kept reoccurring in her life. And and it just came up all of a sudden and she's worried about it. When she saw him, she said, Pastor, I've become aware of this sin in my life and I cannot control it. Every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at all the other women. And I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare to my beauty. What can I do about this sin? And the pastor replied, Mary... That's not a sin, that's just a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get it later. Scripture deeply emphasizes this sentiment of pride over and over and over. Actually, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 34 says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. We started this series a couple weeks ago called Stomping on Eggshells, and the idea is that We don't want to tiptoe in our relationships. We want to live free in our relationships. We want to have healthy, healthy relationships. But there are some eggs, like we don't want to tiptoe on eggshells. We want to stomp on eggshells. And so each week we're talking about an eggshell that we can crush so that we can have freedom in our relationships. Uh, First week, Kevin Prieston did a great job getting us started on why we need relationships to begin with. Last week, uh, we talked about crushing the eggshell of anger. And so this week, we're going to talk about crushing the eggshell of pride in our relationships. Why in Scripture does the Bible talk about having a deep disdain like this, that God hates pride? Well, it's really simple. From the very beginning, pride is the root of all sin. We see uh, Eve bites of the fruit because it's going to get her the knowledge of good and evil it said that, she had, uh, that it was pleasing to the eye, and that it was going to be good for eating. I mean, Eve, Adam and Eve, literally, you had, you had one job. The serpent comes in and tempts them, and they eat of the fruit because of, of pride. Arrogance and pride is the root of all sin. And when it comes down to it, each sin is our selfishness. It's, it's our pride. An easy way to understand pride is when we put ourselves first, in thought and or action. When we put ourselves first in thought and or action. I mean, pride and arrogance is what destroyed God's perfect garden and his perfect relationship with, each, with, uh, with humankind, with mankind. So, of course, God hates pride. It's why good sports fans have a disdain for Uh, LeBron James, right? And they love Peyton Manning. They're both the best at their sport, or Peyton Manning was at some point. They both make money more than all of us combined, probably even in a single game. They both can buy anything they dream of, do whatever they want, but both athletes are viewed very different. One athlete gives credit to his teammates every time they have success. Another athlete just runs from team to team until he catches a championship. Walter Cronkite, most of us in here are too young to know who he is. Look him up. He had a sick mustache. Anyway, Walter Cronkite recalls uh, this story. He tells this story. He says, sailing back down the Mystic River in Connecticut and following the channel's tricky turns through an expanse of shallow water, I'm reminded of the time a boatload of young people sped right past us, its occupants shouting and waving their arms, And I waved back a a cheery greeting, and my wife said, do you know what they were shouting? Why? It was, hello, Walter. He said, no, they said, no. His wife, his wife, Todd, no. They were shouting, low water, low water. Walter Cronkite says, and so are the pitfalls of fame and egotism. Pride is a trait that should not be a part of a Christian life. For those of us who are pursuing Jesus, it should be just that, a pursuit of Jesus, not a pursuit of ourselves. If we are going to have healthy relationships and we are going to get rid of pride here on this horizontal level, there's really no way to get rid of this pride unless we eliminate the pride between God and us. I hope that today that we decide that we want to have better relationships with God and better relationships with each other, and we try to get uh, the flesh, the love of ourselves out. But it's hard in the culture that we live in. Uh, it's hard to get it out of our relationships. It's a constant fight because our culture does not want us to put others ahead of ourselves. You know, honestly, if we thought about it deeply, Sometimes we would rather pursue ourselves also. It's why we would rather get lost in entertainment than to devote ourselves to scripture. It's why we will spend hours on Facebook, more hours on Facebook than developing the relationships with, with others in the church. We would rather talk and gossip about people in church than fix those relationships with ourselves. It's why we would rather give ourselves over to entitlement than to serve. It, we would rather uh, desire things the way that we want them instead of how God wants them to be. You know, we might th- say things like, worship is too loud or, or not loud enough. It needs to be played a certain way or we play that song too often. You know, pride creeps in in areas that we don't even imagine. The constant struggle for us all as we try to live out this series is, is going to be this question. What do we desire more, ourselves or Christ? If God hates pride, then then we should too. I mean, we should really do everything we can to get every ounce of of pride and arrogance out of our lives. And the attribute then, if God hates pride, the opposite, the attribute we should be seeking is humility. A phrase that you might consider adopting today is humility always. Always. Humility always. There's this scene in Scripture. It's probably one of the greatest examples of humility. Jesus Jesus leads his disciples into the garden. He knows that in just moments he's going to be arrested. And in Luke chapter 22, he finds himself praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asks God, God, please take this cup away from me. I do not want to do this. If you're new to Christianity, you may have never heard that before, but that God, Jesus himself, is in the garden. He hits his knees. His sweat has become as thick as blood because he knows what's on the other side of uh, just moments later. And he says, God, if there is another way, please let this cup go past me. I don't want to do this. Then there's this key word in there. And if you have a Bible or are able to highlight in Luke chapter 22, uh, we can pull it up on the screen. Uh, Luke chapter 22 He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, the yet. Or maybe your translation says, nevertheless. And he says, not my will, but yours. Not my life, God, but yours. Not my desire, but yours. And this should be the goal of our Christian life. Our goal in life should be this phrase not my will, but yours be done. Humility always. I want to illustrate it in this way. I'm going to slide this back a little bit. I'm a little bit tired. had a really cool and fun weekend. Ask me about later. Anybody see that Carolina blue sky this morning turning Clemson orange? Anybody see that? Notice that? So I'm going to sit down. Um, I, I want to illustrate it this way. This chair, it's a big comfy chair. You can get them at Academy. At least that's where I got this one. It's got pockets for your phone, keys, and I still somehow lose them all the time. little cup holder here for your coffee and the books that you pretend to read. It's like you still take them to the park, but you don't read them anyway. You just chill. Okay, maybe that's just me. This big chair is going to represent pride. It's going to represent the chair. Like the chair that we all want to sit in. This is where we sit. Uh, I went to a... Really like traditional church growing up. Anybody go to one of those? And on the stage, there was this big, massive pulpit. Uh, It it ranged for farther than my arms can spread. You, You guys following? You know what I'm saying? And then there was this massive pulpit, but on each side were these gigantic chairs that no one ever sat in. And even after church, you would go sit in them, and someone would yell at you, get out of those chairs. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were right there. I still don't know what they were for. But this church that I, uh, that I was attending, I was in children's school, or children's church, and we had gotten new ones. This was a big deal. This caused some stuff here, that we were going to take these chairs out of the sanctuary and replace them with new chairs. I thought the church was going to have a physical fight over this. It was not awesome. So where did these chairs go? They went into the elementary school class. This was cool. Because now, not only is there a fight amongst adults about chairs, but now the kids are going to fight about the chairs, about who was going to sit in this. Okay. Now, I knew I could not be involved in this fight because my dad was the children's minister, so I could not be involved in the fight. But here's what I knew. There was a kid in there. Whoever sat in that chair was always a punk. He got kicked out of class, made him go sit with his parents. So I just snuck right in sat in the chair man the goal of our life is to sit in the it seems like the fleshly desire is to sit right here in the big chair who doesn't want to sit in the me first chair man i love sitting in the me first chair i love sitting in the floyd money mayweather chair i love sitting in the antonio brown chair well not now but before maybe I love sitting in the chair that is all about Roger. It's literally the best chair ever. I hope you get to experience it. Actually not. It's in, it's in this chair that the decisions we make, we don't care about the consequences because they don't matter. They only matter to us. If, if, they end up, if they end up bad, it doesn't matter. It's a moot point because life is all about me. Some of us might identify this chair you don't want to and that's okay but if you take an honest look at your life you might identify with being in this chair christianity is an option to you god really doesn't matter except for this moment maybe you're new to church you're giving jesus a whole try look i'm not trying to be a jerk but you know if god doesn't matter in your life then you should make decisions all about you maybe you're you've run away from from christ and you're like trying to figure all this stuff out maybe this is your chair I want to tell you, if all of your relationships are going sideways right now, you're probably sitting in this chair. There's a um, character in the Bible. He's one of my favorite characters. He is, he is my, one of my heroes, other than Jesus, Sunday school answer. But this guy is my hero. Um, man, I, I love him. He's a church planter. He has kind of a shaky past. And he sat in this chair for his whole life. Some traditions call him Apostle Paul. He unapologetically persecuted the church. He didn't find himself, uh, but he didn't find himself in this chair for very long. One day he's on his way to drag it. The Bible tells us he's going to drag women and children out of the church to kill them, right? And on his way, he gets blinded by Jesus. And Jesus says, Why are you persecuting me? And Paul calls him Lord. He develops this love for Christ. He spends his whole life, after sitting in this chair, campaigning for the Lord, preaching instead of persecuting, proclaiming instead of imprisoning. He was the preacher to Gentiles like us. Gentile is just another word for not Jewish. He says that he's, later on in Scripture, he tells us that he's in chains for the Lord. And then living out this sold-out life, he, he wants to get to Rome. He never really gets there in the way he wants to. He gets he goes in prison. But he writes this letter to this church that he loves and he wants to get to. It's called Romans. In your Bible, you can find uh, the book of Romans. If you're following on the app or the U version, it's right there. It's gonna be on the screen. And he writes this in chapter seven. Can you read this with me? We know that the law is spiritual. Now check this out, this is Apostle Paul, church planting Paul, my hero Paul, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that is what I do. Um, For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that is what I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. Uh, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. Anybody ever feel like that? You, you may find yourself in this, in this chair like, Man, no matter what I do, I can't get away from sin. I'm sold as a slave to sin, and I can't get away from it. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Pride and sin is always tempting me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin and death, uh, or, or sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Arnold Palmer, the second greatest golfer of all time, He tells a story about uh, the 1961 Masters Tournament. He said, I had a one-stroke lead and had just hit a set, a very satisfying tee shot right in the middle of the fairway. I felt I was in pretty good shape. And as I approached my ball, I saw an old friend standing at the edge of the gallery. He motioned over to me, stuck out his hand and I shook it, or uh, he stuck out his hand and said, congratulations. And I took and I shook his hand. But as soon as I did, I knew that I had lost my focus. On my next two shots, I hit the ball in the sand trap, then put it over the edge of the green. I missed the putt and I lost the Masters, which is like the pinnacle of golf. You don't forget a mistake like that, you just learn from it and become determined that you will never do it again. And then he says, It's a lesson that I still haven't learned 30 years since. Pride. It seems like no one's immune from it. Sin is everywhere. It's always able to control us. It's powerful. It's relentless. It's overwhelming. And Paul can't get away from it. Saint Paul, Apostle Paul, Church Planner Paul, Hero Paul, whatever you want to call him, he just remains in this chair. And and I think that if I'm not the only one in the room who struggles with this idea of pride, we can sympathize with Paul saying, man, I want to do good, but I can't. And the thing I promised that I would never do again, it's like always right there. Man, I, I want to be like Paul and be like, dude, it is not okay. Pride is not okay. Sin is not okay, and I don't want it anywhere in my life. And so as we start to focus, it's like, God, okay, I get it. I I, I don't want sin in my life. We kind of just shift chairs a little bit. Uh, we sit over here in this chair. Because now there's this tension that... I still belong in a chair, God, in our relationship. I still belong in a chair, but just not yours, okay? And then life starts to happen a little bit different than we like, and so we just scoot over a little bit. It's like, I know you got control, God, but I just need to make sure. Uh, I I just need a little bit of my pride back, okay? So um, I, I like how you do things, like with Jesus and everything, but just not like in my own personal life, and so we just start to scoot over, and it's like, so you mean I got to deny myself and love other people? Um, can I just, like, maybe, you know, do like this? Can I just share the coffee table right here with you? Or, or I just maybe broke my chair. Or can I just use use your feet for a footstool? Okay, I like this better. And then that sin creeps back in, and we just kind of, like, we try to, hey God, can I just, it's my daughter, she's four, and just you can't not be in a room with her and her on top of you. You know, you climb into the chair with God and it's like God just gets out of the chair. He's like, I, I can't do it. It's either me or it's you. And so you're like, okay, I'll just scoot back over here. It's in, it's in this chair right here. It's this tension of trying to find our position with our relationship with God. It's when we're feeling the same way that Paul does that. We want what's best for God and his kingdom, but while at the same time our, f- our flesh cries out, it's like, I still need me. Since we're in football season, Chad Cinco, he would always say, I love me some me. Me too. <laughs> but me has to die to my desires if I'm going to have healthy relationships with God and healthy relationships with my family. And so we read the end of that Romans chapter 7, it literally flips the page to Romans chapter 8 and he says this, therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of spirit who gives life has set you free, check this out has set you free from the law of sin and death the prison that Paul feels like he's in, that he can't get away from sin he has been set free from but some of us like our prison a little bit. Man, it's like once we turn the page and we realize how beautiful the act has been done for us, it's like I don't even want to look at the middle chair. I don't want to look at, at this chair at all. Like the big chair is out of the question. And God, once I realize that you have died for me, that Jesus has died for me, that there, I'm set free from the sin that, that tangles me up, that causes destruction in my life and, and in my sin it's like dude get me away from all of these chairs at all I don't belong in one so, so then where do we belong where do we belong I ask myself this question a lot God where do I stand with you if you ever asked that question God where, where do I stand in our relationship where do I stand with you and let me preface this. If if you're not willing to hear the answer to this question, then don't ask. Because God will answer the question of where do I stand with you? I challenge you to ask the question. God am I in your seat? Or I'm in this pretend seat of of my own. Um, I'll tell you. I uh, I ask this question, God, where do I sit? Where do I belong? God, which seat am I in? And every time, every time I really seek out this answer of God, where do I stand with you in my pride? Uh, This scripture always comes up. It's this one. Uh, If you'll read it with me in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. This is Paul, the same Paul who wrote that, okay? Same Paul wrote Romans 7. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm going to read this last verse. It says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions In difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Every time that I really seek out the answer, God, where do I stand with you? He lovingly, compassionately, with grace and mercy says, Roger, you don't. You, You don't stand with me. And I find myself all the time on my knees in front of a blood-stained cross and that's right where I belong when you think about the relationships that we have, if we all are knelt at the foot of the cross and we look at Jesus, there is no pride left there's none left where do you stand with Jesus? are you willing to get out of the seat? get out of of the the God chair or are you wanting to get out of the pretend chair because I I think most of us sit here in this chair of apathy like everything's okay but it's not it's not okay if we decide we're going to take a seat anywhere with Christ other than at the the foot of the cross that story I told you earlier about Bowen Uh, I just sat up in my chair and I said, Bone, come, come over here, man. Just come over here. And I said, well, why don't you, why do you hate yourself? Why don't you like yourself? He said, well, I can't do a one-handed cartwheel. And I was like, man, it just takes practice. He said, well, I can't do anything cool. I said, Bone, let me tell you all the things you can do. Let me tell you about who you are. You see, what pride does for us is it takes everything we are away. It makes us say, I, 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 don't, I don't like myself. I hate myself. It, it makes us say, man, I can't get away from this sin. That's so, it's like I'm sold as a slave to it, and, and I just can't get away from it. But when we hit our knees and we say, God, I've got nothing left. I'm looking only to you. It is, then we can flip the page to Romans 8 and say, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we're reminded who we are. You are bought by Jesus are you running away from Christ you are loved by God just come back you're struggling with a secret sin God knows and check this out he loves you anyway are you struggling with pride like me God can rid you of it and make your relationships with him your relationship with him so much better in your relationship with others man what if we became a church that was on our knees looking up at a blood stained cross. Let's pray. Father, I, I stand too often, <laughs> I sit too quickly. God, forgive me when I'm not in this posture. God, forgive me when I'm, when I'm not reverent with you. God, forgive me when I take my eyes off the cross and, and, and look at myself and my relationships with others and, and God, most importantly, with you. God, I wanna love better. I want to love you better, and I want to love others better. God, help God, help us as a church to be a demonstration of people who observe the cross before anything else. Let humility always be our call. God, let it be in Jacksonville as it is in heaven. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.